the J Talk podcast. Yes, 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 yes. Hello and welcome to the J Talk podcast. Ben Maxwell and Johnny Nickel with you. Uh, Johnny, I'm back from Australia and uh, you're back on the pod after a stellar summer series from yourself. Uh, how are you, mate? I'm doing very good, thanks, Ben. Yeah, I've obviously been enjoying much hotter weather than you you down in the southern hemisphere. But yeah, it was a hard work, but I enjoyed my my three weeks in charge of the pod, and I'm delighted to, to welcome you back. So, how was your how was your trip to Australia? Uh, very good, thank you. Uh, a busy five weeks, uh, obviously chasing two little kids around, but uh, they had a, a wonderful experience. Uh, their first time back in Australia in four years, and uh, yeah, we tried to make the most of it um yeah obviously uh, i feel like i need a holiday after my holiday <laughs> but uh, i'm uh, yeah had to get back to work today monday and um actually didn't mind it, it was a bit of peace and quiet if to be <laughs> brutally honest but anyway but uh, yeah back on the pod for the first time in uh, in quite a while and uh, as i said uh, yeah, uh, you were uh, doing tremendous work during the summer so uh, yeah as you did last week you you gave out some thank yous to your guests john and Neil and indeed uh, John and uh, James for their support behind the scenes, Mike as well. So, um, yeah, well, how was it in uh, in charge of the the good ship uh, Jay took? I know you you were saying in the green room it was a lot of work, but uh, yeah, I hope you enjoyed it. Um, hope hopefully you've received a lot of good feedback about the episodes. Well, th- thanks very much, Ben. And uh, I guess the fact that you've invited me on means that I haven't crashed a good ship, J uh, Talk. So uh, I must have done something uh, uh, pleasing. So yeah, it was it was a lot lot of fun. It was a lot lot of hard work, but you know, obviously, I guess I'm important. This week I'm in what like Americans would call it color commentary, whereas there was like play by play the previous weeks, and I actually I saw things differently from that angle. Having to write down every single thing, there's like certain names of players coming up for for good things, and certain players who came up like every week for doing something that, that cost the team a goal or, or something negative. So you, you do see a lot of that. And once I got over distinguishing all the Utos and Yukis and Utahs, uh, I started to get into my groove a bit. But yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to be back in my my regular position is, is more of a color analyst with you with you holding the reins all right then yeah well we'll get into things fairly soon but um yeah in case you're wondering listeners i've been in touch with the sam as well and uh, yeah his training at his new job has has gone well and he's uh, starting uh, proper work at his new job uh, for uh, yeah the, the first time today at uh, monday over in the uk so uh, yeah wishing sam all the best and uh, yeah well uh, hopefully he'll be back on the the j talk airwaves uh, quite soon uh, as well so he can uh, let you know how it's going for himself so uh, yeah um as i said uh, johnny i was away in australia and uh, chasing little kids around so my <laughs> access to the j league was um well, I mean, quite similar to as, as it is when I'm here in Japan, actually. So I don't get to watch too many games live. Obviously, the the four games a week on the YouTube, uh, the international YouTube channel is a boon for uh, overseas supporters of the league now. But, um, yeah, obviously, weekends are a busy uh, family time, uh, as, uh, as all dads and parents can attest to. So, yeah, I wasn't able to really watch too much of the league while I was away. But, um, yeah, uh, returning to uh, quite a, a similar situation at both the top and the bottom of uh, of the league. Uh, in the, the the five match days that I was away for, um, uh, as we were saying in the green room, basically the top and bottom 
of the league were almost identical heading into the, uh, the the match day 25 games over this past weekend. So I guess there was some movement in mid-table and you will have been pleased to see Gumba move well and truly clear of the relegation zone. But um, yeah, up the top, it's, uh, it's still F. Marinos and Kobe leading the way with uh, Nagoya and Urawa trying to, uh, to chase them down. And it's the same bottom three trying to stay out of that one relegation spot. Yeah, it was, it was really interesting actually going over that with you in the, in the green room. Obviously, it's this largely the same teams, but the, the points differences are, are, are different. I think yeah, when me and Sam were on, we, you know, there was danger that it was going to become a, a top three, but but now you look, there's only eight points from, from first down to six with nine games to go. So we're in for a, a thrilling end of season at the top end of the table. And as, as we'll talk about later, it, it seems like, like there's plenty of teams stuttering as they, as they seek to claim the, the crown at the top. And then yet the bottom, I, I keep expecting teams like Kashiwa to, to pull away, but they're never able to. And we've, we've still got this kind of battle with, with three teams separated by by four points and I think that's going to go down to the wire as well and you know throwing in the, the ACL this autumn and, and early winter we've got a whole load of things to be excited about before before the end of 2023 most definitely so okay we'll do our best to obviously run through all of the games from match day 25 over the weekend but also kind of uh, try and uh, yes I guess take the pulse of J1 and then yes the battles at both the top and bottom of the league with as you say nine games to go and um, obviously also talk about some of the uh, the commitments that the teams uh, especially at the top of the league have in front of them that could uh, maybe uh, hinder their chances at uh, either uh, taking the the title or indeed finishing in the ACL spots and yeah as we work our way through if there's any um, uh, bumper transfer news that we really need to round up now that the window has closed, then uh, we'll do that as well. Obviously, there were some very eye-opening moves uh, while I was away that took me by surprise. And, um, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll uh, work our way through uh, and mention those where necessary. But, the, obviously, there's nowhere else we can begin our review of uh, Match Day 25 than at a raucous Mitsuzawa Stadium on Saturday night when uh, Yokohama FC hosted City Rivals and J1 Tabletoppers F. Marinos in the Yokohama Derby. Uh, uh, Yokohama FC coming in to this game 17th in the table. And yes, F. Marinos, the defending champions on top, of course. The reverse fixture at the Nissan Stadium back in early April uh, ended 5-0 to the champions. And when F. Marinos took a ninth-minute lead, through Anderson Lopez, fans of the Fouliate must have feared another flogging. But, uh, Johnny, they made it through the rest of the first half hour. And once Kotaro Hayashi equalized with a ridiculous 25-yard volley nine minutes before the break, every single cliche about Derby Day and Chaos Energy J-League came true in an astonishing second half. Yeah, I was really down on on Yokohama FC in, in last week's pod because you know they hosted Cerezo, they only lost one nil, but yeah, I think they really got got battered. If it, if it was a boxing match, they would have been on the on the ropes for the whole first half, just covering up, and then they dropped their guard for a second and got knocked out. And then yeah, coming into this game, it, it seemed like they had the good chance, a good breakaway near the start of the game, didn't take it, and then t- to be punished so so early on 
but by Anderson Lopez, he probably thought. I mean, I saw the, the result. The sorry, the score came up on my my phone. And Lopez after nine minutes, so it's, it's going to be four or five nil again. And you know, it was interesting to see because uh, Anderson Lopez, he certainly he let the fans behind the goal know uh, which side of Yokohama he was on and that, who he thought was number one. And you know, there's a there's a proverb in, in English that says that pride comes before a fall. And yeah, he might want want to dwell on that. Maybe wait till the the end of the game before he starts taunting the opposition fans. But yeah. Yeah, it seems like Marinos were, were the better side. They had all these chances the first half hour, a bit similar to when they, they destroyed Shonan a few weeks back. They, these weren't clinical. They didn't take them. And, you know, that, that left the door open. And, you know, what a finish by, by Hayashi. Not, not someone you'd have down as a, as a goal threat. But, you know, Yokohama FC have really struggled, struggled, really struggled to, get, to get goals this year. And they need every piece of help they can get. What, what a finish that was for a derby. Yeah, absolutely incredible. And I'll tell you what, Johnny, I will take a little bit of credit for Hayashi's goal. You know, uh, that uh, that strange phenomenon of when you um, you, you, you click on a, on a link or something and something else instantly happens, uh, like if Australia's uh, one for 200 on the Guardian over by over, if I refresh the page, they'll suddenly they'll lose a wicket. Well, it was uh, it was one nil to F Muddy Nose and I clicked on the uh, the game to hopefully see that El Burr had scored for my fantasy team. And uh, when the, uh, the the score refreshed after I clicked, it came up as 1-1 and Hayashi had scored. So, yes, it looked like I got Yokohama FC on their way. And, uh, well, they did not really look back at all, did they? And in, uh, uh, frankly, astonishing circumstances, as I said, I mean, they'd not scored more than two goals in any league game so far this season. Um, though, of course, they had had some creditable wins at home. They'd, yeah, they'd beaten uh, Kobe 2-0 at home in match day 22, of course, and in, in the game that you chatted with uh, John about. And earlier on in the season, they'd beaten Kawasaki 2-0 at home. So they had had some, some real highlights already, but the, their fans, yeah, the, well, they were in dreamland. And, I mean, you could see it, um, the, the post-game tweets from, from John Steele and how happy it made his son Kai. I mean, Manny Padovan, he's on cloud nine as well. And, I mean, the listeners might be slightly disappointed we haven't had either of those guys on uh, this episode. But, um, yeah, I mean, I'm just back in the country and I want those guys to enjoy the the, the afterglow without having to, to worry about uh, talking to us at 10 o'clock on a Monday night. So, yeah, hopefully they're, they're, st- they're still basking in this result. But, um, yeah, what... A t- time to be alive for uh, your Gamer FC supporters and uh, well uh, of all players of course the show Ito who uh, must now be knocking on the door of a national team call up after his uh, superb volley to make it 2-1 in the 52nd minute and then he turned provider 10 minutes later Johnny with the Eduardo uh, sliding in to cut out an Ito cross but uh, only steering the ball into his own net past a helpless Hiroki Ikura so uh, yeah show Ito uh, certainly relished the the opportunity to go up against one of his former sides and um, yeah a, uh, an evening that he'll never forget as well I'm sure yeah and I was glad to see he didn't hold back from celebrating either against one of his, his former sides he uh, absolutely brilliant finish you know, he he has all the experience to, to play in a, a game like this and he's someone that they really should be able to look to on a weekly basis to do the business uh, I know he doesn't really do it but yeah what a finish! I mean, and we've been a bit, we've been very on the side of Yokohama FC because they have struggled so much this season. To, to give Marinos their due, I think you know last week Hatanaka got a, a serious knee injury. I think he's out until next next spring. And obviously you mentioned Ikura because Ichimori's injured, and 
you know, they've got um, they're both the Koikes are out, and uh, Tsunoda was back on the bench last week, but he was off the bench again this week. You could make an argument that you know only really Nagato is the, the only one out of that back five that is a first choice, and I think for this goal they, they were guilty a bit of the the old Alan Hansen's pet pet hate of defenders standing with their hands in the air claiming for things, which I think was the case for both the first two goals. But yeah, absolutely take nothing away from Ito for his finish, brilliant like Hayashi's first. And then, yeah, Eduardo, what can he do? It's like your defender, you're exposed. If he doesn't get a touch in the ball, he doesn't know who's behind him to, to tap it in. So it ends up in a brilliant finish, but what can he do? And, yeah, <laughs> to, to be a Yokohama FC fan behind the goal on on Saturday, it must have been absolute pandemonium, absolutely brilliant. Yeah, I said back at the intro, it was a, a raucous atmosphere. And, yeah, over 13,000 crammed into to Mitsuzawa, and uh, it looked like an absolutely phenomenal uh, evenings uh, entertainment well at least for uh, yes the uh, the the, uh, the sky blue half of the uh, the people in attendance but uh, yeah they they had uh, indeed the last laugh as well when uh, Kyohei Yoshino put the uh, the finishing touch on uh, well I I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say it was uh, quite possibly the the greatest day in Yokohama FC history with a uh, the, the fourth goal in the 93rd minute. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was the scorer of the first goal, Johnny, uh, Kotaro Hayashi, who, um, yeah, earned a, a particular gong from you that you wanted to mention on this week's episode. Yeah, so uh, I've been, been handing out uh, Player of the Round and, and Under-23 Player of the Round awards, and it, it might be a bit of a surprise it's after it's after the first game we've talked about this week, but, yeah, the Under-23 Player of the Round uh, this week is uh, Kotaro Hayashi of, of Yokohama FC. You know, Pip can play as a, as a left-sided or right-sided wing-back or, or full-back. And, you know, I was, I was looking into his background. So he's, t- he's from Saga in, in uh, Kyushu. Spent, you know, junior high and high school age with uh, Sagan Tosa's youth team before heading to, to Meiji University. And he's actually three years below a player he's been come up against um, and this coming weekend at Nagoya Grampus, uh, Ryoya Morishita, who, who he cites as, a, as an influence. That's someone he's, he's, been, he's been influenced by. And, you know, he, he's... I think I've actually picked a few fullbacks in the in the three weeks I was I was doing this in the under twenty three section and Hayashi's always been a name that's been in my head but he's never done enough to quite merit that that final push so but that goal pushes him pushes him over the top you know I've been been looking out for the kind of university rookies this year and it's not been it's not been the best class it's not been like twenty twenty when you had um, Mitoma and Hatate and Shuto Abe and Yuki Yamamoto Kanako that's just off off the top of my head you know. This year, you've only had Hayashi and his teammate uh, Tomoki Kondo at Yokohama FC, Fukuda at Kyoto, uh, Shinyamada at Kawasaki, and, and Nakano at Hiroshima. The only ones that have really played kind of regularly, but Hayashi's played by, by far more than, than any of the others, and he's, he's shown a lot of potential. Like, I'm not I'm not touting him for, for national team honours or, or Europe j- just yet, but I think he's shown that he is someone who, who can go on to have a good future in, in J1. And yeah, for, for his fantastic goal at such an important time in this important game, yeah, Kotaro Hayashi is my, my under-23 player of the rounds. Outstanding stuff. And uh, yeah, well, uh, an absolutely brilliant goal uh, to uh, earn him that gong. And uh, yeah, thoroughly deserved. So, um, Johnny, what does this all mean? As we said, it's the, probably the greatest day in the history of this club. It takes them... Four points clear of bottom club uh, Sean Nunn, who lost in match day 25, and again we'll come on to fairly shortly. Um, we've mentioned that they've had some good results, especially at home this year. There, uh, yeah, four four rounds ago they beat the then leaders Kobe at home 2-0, and they've just beaten the current leaders by uh, four goals to one. 
as you said, they weren't at their best last week against Cerezo. And in this coming weekend, they have another really difficult-looking fixture against a, uh, a top-six opponent when they uh, travel to third-place Nagoya. So the, the fixture computer hasn't been kind to them in this particular run of games, but they've um, managed to yeah, get points where most of us wouldn't have expected them to, six from the last four games. And it's, um, it's given them a, a smidgen of breathing room ahead of Shaunan. So does the, their capability to, to get results like this make you more optimistic that they're um, finally going to steer themselves clear of, uh, of this relegation dogfight? Or do you think um, they're ultimately going to be in it right until, the, uh, right until the final round or the last couple of weeks? It's a, it's a tough one because if you'd asked me like a week ago, I would have said Yokohama FC are the team most likely to go down, and now they're four points off the bottom. I mean, they may very well stay up. They've got they've given themselves a good chance, but I don't see them really kind of get, getting out of the mire. And it's, it's very interesting because they play Shonan at home in round 33, and that could be a very, very, very interesting game because I, I think there could still be something on the line going into that one. And, you know, you've mentioned Yokohama FC's results, and a lot of them, the better ones have come at home. You know, even they, they drew nil-nil with Reds and nil-nil with, with Gamba, and you know, very, very solid defensively on the road is maybe going to be more of an issue and they also have the, the kind of issue you know, you get like Buster Douglas beat, beat Mike Tyson and you know, Hassim Rachman against Lennox Lewis, you, you get your one big shot and then Nagoya are going to take them an awful lot more seriously this week than they might have otherwise done after that 4-1 so I think Yokohama FC have to, you have to try and make it so that it's not, this isn't just a, a one-off result where everything went right because I, mean, I don't want to take the shine off anything, we, we say what brilliant goals Hayashi and Ito's were but they're quite low percentage strikes plus an own goal. You need to, yeah, you need to hope everything didn't go right our way. And on the co- contrast, the Marinos will be hoping that it was just a one-off. Everything went wrong. Everything that could go wrong went wrong, and we're back to normal this week. Again, only will only time will only tell like what's going to happen. But I think to to simply answer your question, I think Yokohama FC can survive, but I don't think it's going to be an easy ride, and I don't think any of their fans think it's going to be an easy ride either. No, fair enough. Yeah, I don't think they'll be, uh, yeah, getting too confident. Although, yeah, they want to enjoy this uh, this mm-hmm. victory for as long as they can. And yeah, I mean, if they could manage to eke out a draw away at Nagoya uh, this Saturday, then yeah, you could argue that they're they're pretty well set up. But uh, yeah, it certainly won't have done the the, the confidence of the the group any uh, damage. There's no doubt about that. But uh, yeah, it's uh, really interesting because they're on a a good run of home games here, and as we said, they have got a couple of. Uh, outstanding results but yeah after the international break when they host uh, Kashiwa that's in two match days time they only have two of their last seven at home and as you say their away form has been a concern so um, yeah well we'll wait and see I mean you yeah, certainly Shonan are not pulling up any trees but they um, they might have a run in them uh, we'll uh, We'll have to wait and see. That's yeah, maybe it's a conversation for yeah, slightly later on in the episode. But yeah, what a what an evening it was for Yokohama FC. For F Marinos, um, obviously with the chance to pull away at the top, uh, Johnny, and, and give themselves 
a, a four-point buffer over uh, over Vissel. That has not come to pass. And uh, we, with the Kobe drawing at FC Tokyo in the game we're going to come on to next, their lead was actually reduced from two points to one at the end of match day 25. Um, you've mentioned their injury crisis at the back. Um, it was a surprise for me to see Marcos Junior uh, leave the club in this transfer window. But I guess as he can't play centre-back, then, yeah, he's, uh, no, his, uh, his absence won't be felt too keenly in in you know in certain areas as we know they're very well stocked for attacking talent but um yeah definitely a fan favorite and i'm sure there were uh, a lot of heavy hearts amongst the f marino support to see him depart the club but um is this just a, a blip and an unfortunate result for the the leaders and the champions against a, a fired up opponent with uh, revenge on their minds or are there um, are there deeper problems that you you uh, you, you have concerns about? Uh, obviously, the, the defence is going to take some patching up for uh, for Kevin Muscat and his um, yeah coaching team. I think it, it might have felt like the end of the world at full time on Saturday, but I don't think it is. If, if you look at it another way, they've still got 50 points from 25 games, that, that two points per game. You know, they've still got that amazing ability to, to generally grind out results. And you know, I think me and Sam and yourself were talking the the halfway. Uh, kind of review about you know Marinos had maybe they got a bit fortunate in a couple of games that they might be hoping it's just one of these ones you, you just vomit out an awful performance where everything goes wrong and it's out the way and they can move on from here you know if I don't know what's the issue with Tsunoda if, if he can come in and play alongside Eduardo I think that's that's still a decent centre-back pairing if it's um, um, Kamijima and Eduardo I think that might be more more of a concern over the course of, of nine games but I mean, they they do have like the fact that Vissel and Nagoya are stuttering a bit as well. So it's not like anyone's making a, a surefire claim. Although I think we're going to talk talk a little bit about about the ACL because because Marinos that they do have ACL commitments, but the other two don't. And I think one thing I've I've kind of highlighted is they actually play Vissel Kobe at the end of next month, and then I think four days after that they travel to China for what seems to be the hardest game of the group away to, to Shandong Taishan. So you know, there's a bit of rotation, or you know, how Kevin Muscat's going to work around that with with long-term injuries at the back. Um, yeah, but very, very interested to see how they how they navigate the, the the remaining the remaining games this season with no no transfer window. They can't really bring in players. They can only hope players come back from injury. So yes, it's very difficult to make predictions who's going to be who's going to be number one because because each team has has things that point out they might continue to play very well or they could also falter very easily. Yes, indeed. What a uh, what an evening it was at Mitsuzawa, and uh, yeah, for now, um, yeah, huge kudos and uh, yeah, congratulations to the Yokohama FC half of the uh, the Harbour City and uh, F Marino's uh, support as well. Yeah, as you said, you're still top of the pile with uh, so much to play for, and uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll wait and see uh, in the the coming weeks if uh, yes, they do have the staying power to retain their title. Their closest challenges remain. Vissel Kobe, who, as we said, actually uh, pruned a point off of uh, F. Marino's advantage at the top of the table by hook or by crook after returning from the capital with a 2-2 draw on the Saturday night uh, at the National Stadium. A crowd of over 48,600 rocked up. And, um, well, yeah, Johnny, uh, again, as an FC Tokyo supporter, this has uh, been, uh, for want of a better term, a another wasted season 
for my favourite team. And um, yes, this was uh, another encapsulation of that. And uh, I'm sure at the the full time whistle, Peter Klamowski was pulling out whatever hair he's got left on his head after uh, yeah his side uh, basically blew a, a golden opportunity to put a huge dent in uh, Kobe's title chances um although with nine games to go they're obviously very very uh, still close to the top but yeah it would have been a huge uh, confidence boost for tokyo themselves if they had have hung on to win this game having twice gone ahead and then seen a, a penalty saved at one nil up um it's uh, yeah, just didn't turn out to be tokyo's night and uh, i'm sure the, a lot of the supporters left feeling as if they'd suffered a defeat even though they had uh, yeah indeed drawn against the team Second in the table, uh, Tokyo capitalised on a dreadful clearance from Kobo keeper Daya Maikawa to take an 18th minute lead through Diego Oliveira. And then, as I said, Guriamatsuki had a penalty saved by Maikawa, who redeemed himself in the 69th minute after roughly a five minute VAR check that uh, yeah, Yuto Nagatomo's cross had hit Yuki Honda's hand on its way out of play. Interestingly enough, the the usual penalty taker, Oliveira, was uh, subbed out during the uh, the VAR delay, and that left Matsuki, who has a spotty record from 12 yards, to put it mildly, um, yeah, to take the responsibility, which he always likes to do, which you like to see in a young player. But um, maybe Klamovsky should have a, a few other players take... Uh, penalties at training while Matsky's off having a shower or something and, and choose somebody else because it doesn't seem to be working out for him. Um, Matsky, unfortunately, and well, the, that left the door slightly ajar for Kobe. And um, well, yeah, then uh, there was a, another VAR delay, Johnny, uh, entering into second half stoppage time after an 87th minute collision in the box with uh, yeah the Tokyo keeper, uh, Taishi Brendan Nozawa taking out uh, Jean Patrick and uh, yes after a VAR check the, the the spot kick was fired home by Yuya Osako in the 93rd minute there was a, a terrific goal from a Dialton in the 10th minute of stoppage time but that was matched or some would say even bettered by a stunning volley on the swivel from Hotaru Yamaguchi in the 104th minute to earn Vissel a point. I've tried to wrap the game up as best I could, but um, I don't know. Can you make much sense of it? I spent an inordinate amount of time on my, my Saturday, uh, sorry, my Sunday afternoon looking at highlights of this game. I, I thought, well, I'll, I'll click on 87 minutes when the penalty is given, and then how long can that take to the end of the game? And it, it turns out it can take a very, very, very long time to get from 87 <laughs> minutes to, to the end of the game. And, you know, I, I mean, I, I watched it after the fact, so... I, I knew a penalty was given, but like when I saw the original incident with John Patrick, it's like, how is it taking them five minutes to, to clarify a, a penalty? Because I think as we might see in some other games, referees are more than happy to just give cards and decisions on the spot, whereas this referee seemed determined to check every single facet of that decision. And you know, I'm sorry, I think ultimately he got he got the decision correct. And, and after that, it seemed like, you know, when it was 1-1, it looked like Visa were the most likely winner. And, you know, I doubted that brilliant goal as it was. It, it really kind of came out of, of nothing. And again, in his season, it's almost come out of nothing. He was brilliant last year and he's kind of disappeared again. And 
Yeah, it's interesting. I think last year after the, the Osaka derby, I think I had a bit of a moan about how much celebrating of a, a last-minute winner you can get away with without adding time on. And, you know, unfortunately, I think Adelton took it a bit too far and he was trying to high-five everyone along the touchline and the referee couldn't really ignore it, which which led to Vissel Kobe equalising in the 14th minute of 13 minutes of, of additional time. And then again, there was another VAR check to make sure that Osaka hadn't been offside just to sort of drag out, drag out your agony. So, I mean... I think I'll just talk about Kobe first, and I wanted to ask you a couple of questions about FC Tokyo because because last week I mentioned that Mitsuki Saito had suffered a, an injury against uh, Kashiwa. I didn't mm. know at the time how how bad it was. So it, I mean, it looked the, the the number of injuries he had to his knee. It's one of the worst things I've I've seen written down in a Japanese press release. And apparently he's been out for for a year. So yeah, I just wanted to say that hopefully he gets a, a speedy recovery. It seems like Bisa are gonna going to sign him permanently so there will be a place for him when he when he comes back and I saw there's rumours I think that Leo Silva the, the former Kashima and Niigata midfielder is training with Kobe because he doesn't have a club and he might be able to to come in and play a few games so keep, keep your eye on that one but you know Vissel the, 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 I think I mentioned last week um, with Neil or was it the week before that they're definitely having a bit of a bit of a wobble there's only one win in the last five and yeah, looking ahead to the remaining nine fixtures, there's no ACL, but they have to play all the other six teams in the top seven. And you know, the, the, their next run of fixtures, I think after the after the September internationals, they've got San Frecce, Cerezo, Marinos, and Kashima in a row. So if if they are to win the league, they're going to have to really produce something special. Yeah, so they you know, they, they would have seen that as you know before the game they would have fancied the chances to win in the big stage. Obviously that that didn't happen, as you say. FC Tokyo they'd be, be disappointed too. But you now, like I did with with Neil after a bad result, I, I tried to, to divert his attention forward to potentially better times. So maybe I can do that that with you. You know, Klimovsky's come in. He's, he's obviously he's brought in. I, I think the first winner of my under twenty three player of the round was uh, Taishi Brandon Nozawa. And uh, Tawara, Tawara Tsumida, I almost got his name right there. Um, he he's come in on the, on the left wing, and he's obviously given given a few younger players. Kimura as, as well as another one, given a chance. And you've got kind of new players come in like Jaja Silva, Riki Harakawa. I guess it's it's difficult to make too many firm conclusions. But as an FC Tokyo supporter, what what are you looking for out of the out of the Klamovsky, Klamovsky reign over the next few years? Well, yeah, I mean, improved performance and, and better football. Hopefully that's not too much to ask for. Um, Tokyo have always had a, a decent youth system, so hopefully um, Klamovsky's up to speed with the, the best of those players and is able to bring them through and, and give them an opportunity. And, um, yeah, I think they, uh, they need to make a, a splash or two. They need to properly scout a couple of really good players that can come in. They don't have to be Brazilian. They can be uh, from anywhere, but anywhere that... Uh, Klamovsky can identify talent that he he knows that he can work with, and um, and yeah, try and hit the ground running at the start of next season. Uh, I'm sure he will be backed, but yeah, it's hopefully uh, to his uh, to his satisfaction. And uh, the, the names are players that he really wants, and that he he has identified himself that the uh, the scouting department and the, the front office uh, front office rather can go out and get. Um, you can see the the seeds of some growth and some change in the, the performances but uh, at the same time it's um and it always has been it's a it's a cultural thing i think at tokyo it's a suburban attitude um mm. when you know we we should be one of the biggest clubs in the league in terms of performance and results not only in size so it does appear to be a long road and obviously from where we are in the table it's a long road 
and a, a big gap to close to the, the the real upper echelons of the league. Yeah, Saturday night, another frustrating evening, but uh, yeah, for Kobe at least, a uh, a, a result reduced the, the gap uh, with F Marino's to uh, to just a point. And yeah, thanks for mentioning uh, Saito. Um, I know if you had have known the extent of the injury, you would have given it more uh, time in last week's episode. And um, I was going to ask you, yeah, how you thought they might cope in um, in Saito's absence with uh, Leo Ozaki starting the game uh, in the deepest midfield role on Saturday night with uh, wondering how important Takahiro Ogihara might be to the rest of their campaign. But then, yes, I did see the uh, Leo Silva rumours as well before we started recording. So whether he can come in and fill that void pretty much straight away, uh, obviously he'll he'll have the September international break to um, to try and bet in a little bit. But, uh, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll wait and see if that signing does go through and then if uh, Silva is able to help Kobe through, as you said, a very testing run of fixtures that they have once the league returns to action after the international break. So 2-2 at the National Stadium. And, uh, yeah, we've mentioned Kobe have been on a bit of a wobble, as have Nagoya, and that continued on Saturday night at Cerezo Osaka, where the uh, the visitors' Grampus lost uh, 3-1 away from home. They had thought they had taken a third-minute lead, but uh, the goal for uh, Yuki Nogami was disallowed for offside after a VAR check. And then uh, Satoki Weijo put the hosts in Cerezo in front uh, six minutes after that with a uh, typically classy no-nonsense finish from uh, Leo Ciara's square pass. After that, VAR check was complete. The visitors went straight up the other end and equalised. Uh, new chum Tsukasa Morishima digging out across from the right flank and uh, Rioya Morishita timing his run perfectly at the back post to volley home superbly and then if uh, Wejo's first was no nonsense his second was uh, absolutely brilliant uh, showing balance and control before zipping away and firing under Mitch Langerak's arm to put Cerezo back in front in the 71st minute Sota Kitano putting the icing on the cake with a fine strike after he was set up by fellow sub Rio Watanabe with the two minutes of the 90 remaining and uh, a gong for Satoki Wajo as well on this episode Johnny a, uh, a brace for him and um, yes I don't know a, a medal around his neck have you decided what um, your award what shape your award uh, is is going to take maybe you could have a you could have a, a cherry blossom Sarah's old player so maybe I could, I could a different one for each club each club has a different ah, award yeah good so, idea yeah, he he gets the cherry blossom. He can, he can pin to his badge for for next week's game. Very um, good. So he is your player of the week. Yes. So we're we're going to talk about another player who who ran him very close, but that that player who his game will be towards the end, which kind of tells you that the game was not as important as this one, which is a battle between sixth and third. And you know, Serizo after winning that, they're only eight points off top spot, and they're only crucially they're only three points behind Nagoya, who who are third. I think that the, the first goal is is really a team goal. He's gets say a Maikuma plays a lovely three ball to Ciara, who shows he's not just about storing goals. He gets down the wing and he puts it in a plate for Arejo. It's really nice to see the. I think the combination play between them because Serizo, like like Marinos, were, were kind of flagged by myself and Sam as maybe the, the, the results were a bit better than the actual performances, especially in an attacking sense in the first half of the year. I think they've really they've really upped things a bit uh, since, since the you know since the halfway point. And you know, Sierra I think has been a good signing since since the start, but he's working so hard and he's, he's getting goals. And you know, Capi Shaba is another player. I think um, Crooks maybe gets more of the kind of highlights, few like assists or things. But I think Capi Shaba has really come on to a game. 
game and been been a crucial part. But you know, Uejo is a bit different from all those players. He, he's got the movement; he'll drop deep. He can shoot from from distance. He's, he's certainly not shy about shooting from distance. And you know, I have to apologise to Kawazura of, of Nagoya because I just assumed the way that Uejo spun the, the Nagoya defender and launched his shot. It, it must have been Kawazura at that back three, but it was actually Shinosuke Nakatani. He was left in the dirt by brilliant turn by by Uejo and Langerak. I'm sure he, he sets you know he sets high standards for himself and Yang Hanbin in the series ago he made a few very good saves to keep Nagoya out I'm sure Langerak will be beating himself up about not not keeping Rejo's shot out but it was a it was a wonderful shot and yeah a really crucial time because the game was in the balance I think you know three one looks looks quite convincing in the end but I think in reality two one might two one either way really could could have been a more realistic scoreline so you know the fact that Rejo got that crucial second goal in a crucial game like this makes him my my player of the round a brace and uh, yes a gong from Johnny to boot uh, the the uh, the Johnny Nickel player of the round for for match day 25 is uh, Satoki Wajo now with the top two Johnny we've mentioned that uh, F Marinos have uh, ACL commitments starting in the middle of September and remember of course listeners it's Kofu not Kobe who are also in the uh, the ACL but um, yes Johnny's mentioned the the very testing looking fixture list that the Vissel have to play when we return from the international break. Uh, Grampus are one of only two clubs still in both cups. Uh, Fukuoka are the other, if you're interested. So, yes, they still have um, Emperor's Cup and Levain Cup responsibilities to take care of, and they'll obviously be hoping to make it right through to the final stages of both of those competitions. So, um, yeah, I guess for the, the, the current top three, it's um, yeah a mixture of commitments and, um, yeah, things that could possibly take their eyes off the, the big prize at the end of the day or uh, hurdles in their way. Um, but, uh, yeah, for, for Grampus, obviously the, the headline transfer news was the, the departure of Mateus Castro with um, yeah, the, the, the player who I mentioned set up their uh, equaliser early doors, uh, Morishima coming in from Hiroshima in one of the uh, the really interesting transfers of uh, this uh, this window that has just slammed shut. But, um, yeah, it, it has been a bit of a, a testing time for Kenta Hasegawa and his squad. And... Um, how how much of a uh, an impact is losing Mateus, and how how well do you think Morishima can potentially fill his boots and and keep their title uh, prospects, uh, I guess, on the rails? I think yeah, losing basically their best attacker in that sense, and Mateus has been. You know, a main part of their attack for the last two or three seasons. I think mid-season, you can't 100% replace that, even though they have brought in a fine player in Morishima. And uh, I knew Morishima was from Mie, but I didn't actually know he'd been a Nagoya youth player until he, was, until he was, um, went to high school. So he does know the system to, to an extent, or he knows the club to an extent, but you know, asking him to come in and replace Matthias for the last like 10 or 11 games when he's been playing in the, the Skiba system at Hiroshima for the last couple of years, I think he's asking an awful lot. I know he got a very nice assist with that cross. I think he, he'll do as good a job as, as anyone of replacing Matthias, but you know, he had such a good uh, understanding with, with, with Juncker and, and Nagai. So, so to take him out and replace him with another good player, I think that is something that's going to hurt Nagoya. And you know, I mentioned last week when, when Urawa... Um, we're playing uh, Nagoya and, and Juncker couldn't play. They had Noriyuki Sakai as a centre forward. It's, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of issues, I think, in depth when it drops from the first choice to second choice at Nagoya. One thing that is definitely in their favour is they have 
comfortably the, the lightest running out of everyone else. You know, it's Yokohama FC, Fukuoka, Sapporo, Hiroshima, Gamba, Tosu, Shonan, Bissell, Kashiwa. There's a lot of teams who are stranded in mid-table with not an awful lot to play for and not too many teams from, from up the top. So, yeah, even with the kind of cup commitments, they might be more focused on, on the league and they do have a lot of winnable games there, even if it's only their usual kind of 1-0 or 2-1. So, yeah, a couple of losses. It's a rocky period, but I mean, it's worth pointing out the losses have been in a run where they've, they've beaten Kashima and then they've lost to Urawa and Cerezo, which has kind of preceded this kind of easier run. They've got a lot of the harder games out of the way, so I still have them down as a, as a, as a genuine t- title contender. What about yourself, Ben? Yeah, I think so. But um, yeah, obviously the, the news of Mateus leaving it took me by surprise, as I'm sure it did all Grandpa supporters and indeed the the the, the wider J League watching community. Um, a disappointing move to lose such a uh, an outstanding player from the league. But um, Morishima, obviously a terrific player, and uh, yeah, he'll he'll look to have his own influence on, on the Grandpa side as the season winds down. Um, so yeah, the uh, the the top three and uh, no wins uh, to. Show Show from from match day 25 for any of them, and that allowed the teams in fourth through sixth to uh, to close the gap somewhat. Cerezo, uh, as uh, Johnny has mentioned, yeah, eight points now uh, off the top spot in sixth, and uh, above them on goal difference are Kashima Antlers on also on 42 points, while Urawa moved on to 44, and some veteran J League watchers are saying that Reds are poised to strike and um well yeah who's to say that the the title might not be returning to Saitama Stadium for the first time in a very long time at the end of this season uh, obviously Reds know how to win the ACL and uh, could this be their season to taste at J1 glory for the second time well they're they're well poised with nine games to go as we said six points off the top spot after a 1-0 victory uh, away at Shonan last Friday night uh, Reds had to back up uh, just uh, three days after making it through their ACL playoff against Lee Man of Hong Kong. That was a 3-0 home win for Urawa at Saitama Stadium. And uh, yes, they ultimately did just enough to beat uh, bottom club Shonan uh, 1-0 away at the Lemon Gas Stadium. Uh, Jose Kante scored for, I think it's the second straight league game, wasn't it, Johnny? He took a pass from yeah, Kenny Well. Third straight game. Oh, the third one. Excuse me. Uh, sorry, Jose. Did uh, did you dirty there? Um, took a pass from Ken Iwao and stroked a curler across uh, Daiki Tomi and in off his right hand post just past the hour. Um, maybe not vintage Reds, Johnny, but enough on the night to see off uh, the bottom club and uh, claim an eleventh clean sheet of the season for Shusaku Nishikawa and his defence. That was, um, I guess, uh, slightly unusual to not see uh, Alex Schultz and Marius Hoibraten paired together. Um, we were talking in the green room. I, I asked you whether Hoibraten was uh, suspended or injured or not, but uh, you were suspecting that it was uh, just rotation after the uh, the ACL commitments that they had uh, during the week. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if maybe Reds fans may, may know more than me. I, I, I have to apologise, actually, to Reds fans, because I, I was looking at the fixtures for, for next week, and I, I saw, well, sorry, last week I was looking at the fixtures, and I saw Reds were playing Shonan on the Friday, so I, I didn't think for a second to check that they might have a midweek game, an ACL game. I, I don't really know what, what happened there, but playing Tuesday, one on Tuesday, 
won on Friday in this game, and I think they had the, it was a Hoybrat and the New Anami played on, on the Tuesday, and then uh, Schultz and New Anami on the Friday, and yeah, they kept clean sheets in, in both games, so it's a job done. Yeah, I think this is a very professional Reds performance. Uh, Sean Amor pretty toothless in attack. Uh, I know that Onose was out suspended. Ikeda came in for his first uh, start of the year, and a few changes in attack. There's no song in goal either. They had uh, Tommy in there. And I think, yeah, Reds, they did enough. You know, Iwal hit the post, they could have scored. Akimoto had a good chance. And then, yeah, Kante, I, I'm really starting to, to like this guy. I think he shows he, he is a scores a signing. You know, like people like, like Linson or, or Schalke or you know, Mo Berger's left, that they were more Rodriguez signings. But, you know, Scorza knows um, knows Kante from his time before. You know, Kante, he's nearly 33. He's not he's not one, he's not one long-term signing. But I'd argue most most foreign signings in, in J-League are not for the long term. So if he can keep up his, his scoring run, I think that's five goals in his last his last eight appearances in J-1. He's been a big player. And, you know, if... If he can stay fit, well, why why can't they challenge for for first spot? I mean, that they're not they're not my favourites to win the league, but the, the way things have gone, that they were almost out of it a couple of weeks ago. They've come right back into it, and yeah, they've got plenty of games to play between now now and the end of the season in, in terms of Levant Cup and, and ACL in the league. But yeah, they're, they're giving themselves every chance without that tight defence and a, a clinical striker up front. They've got they've got everything you're looking for. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess we did wonder, and Sam and, and I had been wondering it in, in the weeks before we wrapped things up as a, a co-hosting duo, whether they were going to make a really big splash in the window. I guess that didn't uh, really come to pass with the exception of Shoya Nakajima uh, signing up, uh, whether he can feature from the start of games in the league as the, the season winds down. Well, we'll wait and see. He might get an opportunity or two with, uh, yes, Reds' ACL commitments starting uh, in the middle of September. So Starting up again, rather, uh, but uh, yeah, we'll wait and see on that. But uh, yeah, they're uh, they're poised and um, perhaps ready to strike. And uh, yeah, well, as if the the, the top three continue uh, to drop points here or there, and, uh, and Reds can pick up results like this um, when they're not particularly uh, at their best, then uh, yeah, they've given themselves an opportunity with um, yeah with nine games to go so uh, yeah all, all things going pretty well for Urawa as they are for Kashima mentioned it was 11th clean sheet of the season for Reds well Kashima claimed their 12th at home against Niigata on Saturday night when they won a 2-0 over Alberex and uh, well this game was uh, pretty much done and dusted inside the first half hour a, a superb close range header from goal machine Yuki Kakita from uh, Koki Anzai's brilliant left wing cross Gave the hosts' antlers a ninth-minute lead. Then on the half-hour, Rikuto Hirose wasn't closed down out on the right, and his uh, cross was touched on by Kakita before Yuma Suzuki flung himself at the ball and powered home a diving header to make it uh, 2-0. Suzuki scored again, but uh, the goal was disallowed as he clattered in to the Niigata keeper, Ryosuke Kojima, uh, just a couple of minutes after. He'd made it 2-0, but uh, that was to uh, be the end of the scoring. Niigata did push uh, right until the end for uh, for a goal of their own as they looked to get back into the game. And uh, Takahiro Ko's drive grazed the bar on its way over just past the hour 
Newport Albert X. And I think they had a goal disallowed for offside as well, didn't they, Johnny? So, I mean, they were, yeah, they were scrapping about Niigata, but ultimately uh, weren't able to make their uh, dominance on the possession stats count. They had almost 70% possession, uh, Niigata, but uh, yeah, uh, Kashima were able to keep them pretty much uh, at arm's length in terms of clear-cut chances on their goal. And as I said, a, a 12th clean sheet was the result. Yeah, I managed to catch most of the first half of this game before before watching the, the Gamba game, and I think that you got the chances. It was all a bit too too little, too late. When the game was nil nil, it was all all the best chances were for for Kashima, and they weren't. Obviously, Niigata are a bit more solid defensively than, than Sapporo. They weren't quite as impressive as they were a couple of weeks ago against Sapporo. But you get the feeling this Kashima team, in attack when they want to, they're starting to play more like a team with those kind of players like Suzuki, Kakita, Pituka, Higuchi should, should be playing. A lot more dominant and a lot more clinical. I, I mean, I don't have the stats to hand, but they must be, if, if not first, but one of the top for, for scoring headers. Um, both goals this game from from headers really good, well taken headers from both of their the two strikers and you know they're, they're cooking along nicely. Like four wins in their last five games. You know Suzuki's playing well, Higuchi's killing it with the, the assists. Ueda's marshalling the defence and I think Hayakawa. I mean I had my reservations about him in goal, but he seems to be kind of bubbling along just nicely. I'm, I don't think they're, they're not going to finish first or second, but they could go third or fourth. They're, they're going along nicely. I think yeah, Niigata. You know, I was a bit disappointed because I think last week I mentioned Nagakura, the new signing they brought in. Him and he played off Suzuki, and they, they played um, they played it was Koji Suzuki, not not Yuma Suzuki. I'm talking about here. They, they had a, some some nice uh, build up play, but you know, they replaced Suzuki with with Yoshiaki Takagi, and they put Nagakura up front. It, it might just be a case, I think, you know, Niigata there. Their 11 points could have shown on that they're safe. They might be looking ahead to 2024, just trying new new combinations. You know, I've not been impressed by any of their centre-backs, if I'm honest, this season. I think they probably need a new centre-forward as well. And they may need to look at their, their overseas recruitment. Cause I think Danilo Gomez and Gustavo Nescau, they just haven't done anything. They're, they're only really there because they're Brazilian. And well, the goalkeeper, uh, Kojima, you mentioned Takahiro Ko. Uh, and Mito is obviously a player that gets mentioned a lot. They might be players that might attract attention. So, yeah, I think Niigata would be, be well well advised to have, or well, welcome to have one eye ahead, looking ahead to 2024. Whereas I think Kashima, they've still got yeah, they've still got a bit of a charge on 2023. They should be looking upwards into that top three, see if they can get themselves back into the ACL. Indeed, indeed. All right, so we'll uh, we'll round up uh, the uh, the other uh, victory from the match day before we uh, finish the episode with the the other three draws that took place uh, on Saturday night. So it was a, an important two nil home win for Kyoto over Fukuoka. That I, I think um, if they weren't already uh, safe, Johnny, um, now that this win for for Sanga takes them twelve points points clear of the bottom and um yeah chokwe j can start planning ahead for for 2024 as well and uh, yes uh, i think a big part of his plans will be uh, taichi hara if uh, yeah he can keep hara at the club then he could be a very very important player for fasanga moving forward in the years to come after a a, a 10 minute brace from hara inside the first half hour gave uh, kyoto a, a buffer that they uh, would see right to the end of this game, despite going down to 10 men before half-time. Uh, Hara glanced in a header from a Shohei Takeda corner in the 14th minute, and then 10 minutes later, Hara doubled his fun heading in 
from six yards after Masaki Murakami saved from Yuta Toyokawa and then Tem Matsuda. For Fukuoka, I mean, the, the key moment for them, I mean, they did have chances to, um, to to score themselves, Johnny, and obviously, as I said, played uh, more than half the game with 10 men. But I wonder for them, the, the key moment might have been immediately after the first goal when uh, Yosuke Idaguchi had a chance to uh, immediately equalise after they'd gone behind. But his uh, low drive fizzed just wide uh, of uh, the, uh, the the keeper's right-hand post, and if they had have gone yeah, straight back onto level terms, I mean, this game obviously could have panned out, uh, would have panned out uh, much differently. But um, as it was, Haru was able to grab his second goal, and, yeah, the, the fact that uh, Hisashi Taiwo Apia was shown a, a straight red card for a tackle on halfway nine minutes before the break, well, uh, Kyoto were able to, uh, to see things out, despite Fukuoka having over... 70% possession. So a huge win for Sanger to, as I say, not mathematically, but for all intents and purposes, wrap up their uh, their J1 status, if that was even in doubt in anybody's mind. Uh, but, uh, yeah, for Fukuoka, a, a disappointing result and indeed a second on the spin after they had been uh, they had definitely been buzzing in the, uh, the, the previous rounds. Yeah, I think the, the disappointing thing for Fukuoka is that you mentioned their key moment is, is one kind of half chance when it was still 11 versus 11. And, you know, the red card came in the 36th minute and they didn't really, they were pretty toothless after that, didn't really threaten too much. And I think it looked like Lukian went off with an injury. I think he may have done his, done his hamstring, which I'm sure FC Tokyo fans would be quite quietly pleased about because he's playing FC Tokyo next week. So he usually does well against <laughs> them. So, um, yeah, him going off it didn't help, but. You know, I think that you know they're still they're still eighth in the league. I think they'd have bitten your hand off for that. Took 25 games into the season, 35 points, eighth in the league. It, yeah, I think they can they can again look forward to, to 2024 as can can Kyoto. Because I think all three of us with with, with Sam, we we flagged that a lack of goals has been been something that was going to hold them back this season. But Patrick's really stepped up. I think Toyokawa's lifted his game up a level. And as you mentioned, Hara, he's come in. I think you said earlier about the FC Tokyo youth system. I mean, unfortunately, it seems to have produced a player for for another team. I think FC Tokyo could could maybe be, be looking to bring him back at some point because I think last week he looked really good against um, Sapporo and. And this week he's got two two goals really well taken, and if he starts knocking them in, you know, that, that's a bit big box check for, for teams like Kyoto who, who don't have the budget to really compete up the top that they have to battle out every year. So he, he looks like he should be a really good player for them next year. Issues are more at the back because I think Inui I think is injured, but he was one of these players that kind of mentioned at the, the start of. He was involved in a couple of opposition goals when I had to write down who, who gave the ball away. And Apia Tawia, I think you know, myself and Sam are both in the same opinion. He's not really a J1 defender. I, I do think, you know, if people want to say it's a red card, I'm happy to accept that opinion. What, what I don't like, though, is the fact the referee just flashed him a red card straight away. Because we've seen earlier this season, I think, with, with Tachi at Shonan and with... Uh, uh, Kwon Hyung Won uh, against uh, against Sanger, where the referee's just shown a red card, and then he's we've seen in VAR it was a wrong decision, and they've not been able to rescind it because contact's been made. Uh, even if they've got the right decision here, I'm a bit worried. But if it's another referee just thinking he's seen something and flashing a red card without checking VAR first, I mean, as we mentioned in the FC Tokyo Visa game, the other refs have got no problem five, six, seven minute VAR stoppages to check everything. So. Why not just give him a yellow check, right? Okay, it's a red, let's give him a red and he's gone. I think that's the better way to go. 
But yeah, um, rant, rant over on that one. I think regardless of whether that was a right or wrong decision, I think yeah, Kyoto would be looking for new new centre backs, maybe some new midfielders too. And you know, the goalkeeping situation is interesting because they, they loaned uh, Gu Sung Yoon from Sapporo, and then Sugino promptly got injured at Sapporo, and then Gu couldn't play against Sapporo for Kyoto, and Ota came back in, played well, and Ota started here again. So the J1 goalkeeping circus goes round and round and round, but. Yeah, well, well, well done to Kyoto. The season's not not done yet, but yeah, to get where they have so, so far this season, so a really, really good uh, team effort from both them and and Fukuoka. Yes, indeed. All right then. So uh, three games to to go to round up uh, match day twenty five, and they were uh, drawn. We'll begin at uh, of these three games at uh, Todoroki, Johnny, where uh, Kawasaki hosted Sapporo, and the visitors took a, a two nil lead uh, inside. The, the first half, uh, in two goals in eight minutes. Indeed, a, a rasp on the volley from Superchok Sarachat gave uh, Sapporo the lead in the 27th minute. And eight minutes later, as I said, Superchok turned provider, squaring for Yoshiaki Komai to make it 2-0 to the visitors. Uh, you could say the game turned after a 51st-minute incident where the ball was played through for Marcinho, who touched it past Daihachi Okamura's sliding challenger tried to stay on his feet but went down. Uh, no foul was given, but uh, the referee was called over uh, to the monitor by VAR and ended up producing a straight red for Okamura. Um, well, yeah, you could say the game turned on that incident, but then Frontale's first goal in the 67th minute was simply the result of a horrible miscommunication between the goalkeeper Shun Takagi and Hiroki Miyazawa. Takagi passing the ball five yards to Miyazawa, who wasn't ready for it. Uh, Marcinho fed Yasuto Wakizaka, and he drove home low from the edge of the area. Then uh, four minutes later, it was Frontale's turn to go bang, bang. A uh, Miki Yamane uh, miss-hit volley across the box was nodded in from a yard out by his, uh, well, I guess his opposite number, his opposite uh, flanked fullback, uh, Asahi Sasaki. And um, even though Frontale were already playing uh, against 10 men and there were 11 minutes of uh, second half stoppage time, they were unable to find a winner. And uh, I guess Neil Debnam's frustrating season goes on. Uh, Johnny, now he knows how I feel as an FC Tokyo <laughs> supporter <laughs> after so many years of glory. Now he knows what it feels like down in the muck. But um, yeah, I know you Yeah, you had to comment about the, the red card in the Kyoto game. So what about this for for Okamura and the uh, the, the lengthy VAR delay um, that went along with it? Well, I was reading Neil, Neil's blog this afternoon and he I think he said the referee was quite poor for, for both teams. Um, uh, I, I don't necessarily think this is the wrong decision as per the rules. I'm not, I'm not accusing that. It's just that I think my my current rant is that I think it's, it's too easy to win a penalty in this league. It's too easy to score a penalty. And too many players are getting sent off for Dogzo that don't need to be sent off for Dogzo. I think, you know, if you take the, the classic example in someone's head might be, you know, there's an attacker against a defender one-on-one. The attacker goes by the defender. They're going to be one-on-one with the goalkeeper. The defender pulls them down. But that's a straight red card. Real life, as we can see in this incident, is not, is not like that. You've got a a non-violent but kind of clumsy challenge where he does catch him. And then you've got players who could run at an angle to close off the attacker. And the thing, the thing that bugs me actually a little bit is that 
when, when they look at where the other players are for the red cards, they almost act like Okamura isn't there. They, they don't imagine like an alternative universe where Marcinho gets past Okamura, but he has to sort of deviate a bit, which is, would most likely happen. And you'd only be down to like, you've got a clumsy challenge with maybe a 60% chance of a shot at the end of it. Does that really need to be a red card with 40 minutes to go? And I'm, I'm not having to go at Kawasaki because I know, I think a couple of weeks ago, they had a dogs or against uh, Kobe, where I think it was the first thing that kind of angered me was it looked a bit like Jean-Patrick was gaming the system in that he was clear through. He had a touch in his back, which wasn't enough to make him fall down, but he fell down because then they would go and look at VAR and they would see a touch and then they, what they can see is what they give it on. So they're picking up certain aspects. They're not picking up, they can't measure the velocity of like the touch and you can't properly model would the player have got a shot as in the Okamura incident. So I don't know, it feels a bit like, you know, like in, in Moneyball, they're talking about old baseball statistics are just the, the ones that are easiest to collect rather than the most useful. I, I kind of feel like we've gone down this avenue with dogs or what we can see rather than what like, we're not taking everything into account. And I think if I'm going off, I know I'm going off course a little bit here, but I think if I was to, to sum up this this kind of mini run, I would say that the goal has to be to keep everyone on the field, if at all possible, rather than what it seems to be now is, can we find a reason to send someone off the field? I think too many mm. players have been sent off that don't really have to go off. And, you know, if I was a supporter fan, I would not be happy about this decision. But like I said, Kawasaki have felt felt the brunt of other things. Even in the, the Gamba game, they got a penalty against him, one of my least favourites of the player's not properly in control of the ball and he's, he's running the opposite way and he's going out the box and it on the edge of the box gets filled and you've got like an, you know, 85% of penalties have been scored this year. So I think, yeah, punishment's not, not fitting the crime. And yeah, I know I've gone on a awful long time about that. So do you, have, do you have anything to say about that, Ben? It's one of those where, yeah, you, uh, watching the highlights today, I knew that the, the red card had been given, but um, yeah, when you work your way through the highlights package and the incident happens, um, you know, five minutes before the red card is ultimately brandished and you're like, well, hang on, was that a red card? I'm not sure. And then, yeah, there, there is a, a fellow defender and uh, uh, one of Okamura's colleagues running over from the centre. Um, so, yeah, whether Marcinho, if he was able to stay on his feet, yeah, that defender might have been able to close him down. And, uh, um, yeah, I mean, it's just a murky thing, isn't it, Dogso? Mm-hmm. And they've kind of dug themselves a hole that it's uh, it's, very, it's going to be very difficult for not only the, the J-League officials, but, I mean, yeah, the rule makers as a whole to, to, to dig themselves out and simplify things for us all, you know, especially when it comes out on the flank, uh, as as the incident involving Okamura and Marcinho has done in this game. So um, next we'll head down to the real estate agent in front of the station stadium where Tosu entertained Johnny's Gumba Osaka site, who um, yeah, also left it late. Uh, it's safe to say, Johnny, uh, but uh, yeah, I'm sure you will have been absolutely delighted at the end of this game with uh, yeah, your side claiming a point through Hiroto Yamami. Um, it was uh, a game that uh, Park Ilgyu, the Tosu keeper, was uh, very, very prominent in. He saved, uh, amongst other chances, Dawan's flying header and a low drive from Isam Jabali in the opening 20 minutes and then denied Ryotaro Meshino and Yota Sato later in the first half. Uh, Yoichi Naganuma headed just wide for the hosts from a corner just before the hour, but then in the 61st minute, he raced onto a long ball over the top 
from Wataru Harara and slotted into an empty net after Masaki Higashiguchi, I guess, misjudged the, the ball as he raced out to the edge of his area. I think he was anticipating Naganuma to, uh, trying to dink it over the top of him, and Naganuma really didn't make any contact at all until the ball was passed Higashiguchi, who, and then, uh, yeah, had the simple task of rolling the ball home. So, um, oh, interested to get your thoughts on uh, on that incident from, uh, yeah, Higashiguchi. But uh, Gumba's heads never dropped as they pushed for an equaliser. But, uh, well, their goose did appear to be cooked with Tosu trying to take the ball into the corner with the allotted five minutes of stoppage time well and truly up. But uh, after winning the ball back deep in their own half, the ball was lumped up to halfway where Musashi Suzuki's headed flick on bounced perfectly into the path of his fellow sub, Hiroto Yamami, who uh, showed blinding speed to race away and slot into Park's bottom left corner. I wonder, Johnny, whether Park um, might have had a bit of egg on his face because he was booked, I think, for time-wasting in stoppage time, wasn't he? So whether that uh, extra 20 or 30 seconds or so that, uh, that the referee will have added on for that might have actually cost Tosu this victory because that allowed uh, Gumba one more attack and uh, Yamami was able to capitalise. So basically the full-time whistle went as soon as the game was restarted. So uh, as good as the last kick of the game and uh, yeah, Gumba able to rescue a point. Yeah, I think, think you're right with the, the park incident because he didn't particularly pick up the pace after he got a booking and the referees have been told to clamp down and that kind of thing. So that's the only thing that, that caused any, any extra time to be added on to their original time. But I, I can't really fault Park, to, to be honest, because I think Tosa, I mean, every time I watch them, they sort of remind me of a, of a Rocky movie where he just gets punched in the face for like six rounds and then suddenly from nowhere he's, he's on top. Because I think you know, Park made seven saves in, in this game. And you know, the, the first half, I, I got a text message from my, my, my friend, my, my Gamba friend, saying, you know, how good is Park? You know, I messaged back at halftime, you know, it's, it's Gamba versus Park and Park's winning. And, yeah, it, it seemed to be you know, Tosa's first line of defence was just let Park save the ball. And I mean, that, 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 that worked for most of the game and it's worked for most of the season. But yeah, I, I was, I think... I've heard you saying this before, and I think most football fans will, will know the feeling. You know, when you've been you've been on top, and the goalkeeper's having a great game, and then you can feel the frustration creeping in. I think Jabali and Alano around at half time, and in the second half, you know, they they started taking shots from further out or forcing passes, and then, like you mentioned, it Tosa started to have a couple of chances. They, they threw on my my old friend came into Gashi, and I think that really helped them up front. Uh, I think Tosa's biggest problem was they scored half an hour too early. Because I just had the feeling this game is going to go Gamba just going to press, press, press and then get caught out in the last minute. Uh, and it's interesting your take on the on the Naganuma goal because I think Naganuma tried to shoot and if he'd done what he wanted to do it would have whacked into Higashiguchi and gone out for a throw-in. But he's mm. kind of shinned it into the ground by mistake and they've both ended up looking a bit silly but then Naganuma's been left with an open goal to slot it into. Uh, and I'm not dissing Naganuma because I actually re- really like him. I think he's one of the, the best players. But, yeah, if there was any mistake, they made it scoring a bit too early, which gave Gamba a bit of time to regroup, um, which they didn't really do at first, and they made a, a few changes. And it, it, it did look like you know they were going to go down to a 1-0 defeat, despite 
I think over the two games with Tosu, we've outshot them like 41-17, but drawn 1-1 twice. Mm. Um, so um, to, uh, obviously Park's been in great great form then. But you know what what story for for Yamami because it's it's been talked about in a lot of circles. It's it's Jabali Alano plus one up front for Gamba. And there's about eight other players vying for that other spot. And you know what what a way for him to to reannounce himself on on the big stage. Um, yes, because you know I was on I was on transfer market uh, earlier, um, and the, the table for the last ten games certainly makes pretty reading for for Gamba fans because you've got the the most wins, most points, best goal difference, uh, joint first goals scored with with Marinos, who are second in the, the standings, and the only team Gamba have lost to in the last ten games. So. You know, Poyatas was was nearly was nearly dust a few months ago, and now now he's got the the Midas touch. And it, it was actually quite good to see in the summer transfer window, Gamba didn't do a lot rather than sort of panic buying loads of players because because the the ship's on fire. So kind of yeah, looking ahead to to next season, I think he maybe got a couple of clues from this game. Although Musashi Suzuki he did flick on Yuki Yamamoto's kind of hoof down the field for Yamame to score, and. Um, Poyatis waited to the 89th minute before he brought him on, which I think tells you what what he thinks of him needing a goal. And also, um, I'm going to get his name right this time, Kwon Kyung Won. Um, he, he was dropped to the bench and it's Sato and Fukuoka. I think Sato had a, had a really good game. Now he's back from his um, his shoulder injury and, and Kwon didn't even make the, the Korean national team squad. I saw it was announced today. So I think Kwon... And, um, maybe not all Gamba fans agree with me. I think Miura, I think Poyatos would probably like to get them off the wage bill along with Suzuki, and they might be players that look to, to move on with potentially a new centre back and, and a new player to play alongside Jabali and Alano, the main the main transfer targets in the winter. Tosu Kawai is doing a good job. I I still have questions about how how much luck has played a factor in this campaign because. I still think if you take away Parky or Gu or Sagantosa really any better than the, the bottom three, I, I'm not sure. Um, they've only got one win in the last seven games. I, I don't think they'll be rated too too badly this winter. So I guess I mean things are looking reasonable for Tosa with, with their budget, their restraints, their, their location. Twelfth, thirty-one points, you know, fourteen clear of, of the drop. Absolutely acceptable for for them. So yeah. Uh, this was the most mid-table of mid-table battles, but yeah, I hope I've managed to get some entertaining content out of it. Yeah, yeah, I mean, for, for Gamba supporters, a terrific run of form. There's no question about that. And uh, yeah, Poyatos does deserve an enormous amount of credit for that. And as you said, we we were pretty much uh, calling him toast there uh, for a while, but yeah, he's uh, he's been backed by the club, and they've um, yeah they've been rewarded for for keeping faith. In him and uh, yeah, Gamba, uh, very very comfortable in mid table with uh, yeah. Hopefully they'll be pushing even higher uh, in the remaining uh, nine rounds of the season. You never know; they might even be able to catch Hiroshima Johnny because uh, yeah, they were uh, unable to to trouble the scorers away at uh, Kashiwa on Saturday night in the only game of the match day that finished goalless. Uh, plenty of action at uh, both ends, but uh, yeah, both keepers. Osako and uh, Matsumoto were in good form, and I guess some uh, yeah some slightly wasteful wasteful finishing as well uh, kept this game uh, goalless. Two teams that 
I guess we, we expected a lot more of. Uh, we can we can say that kindly, can't we? Um, have uh, both had disappointing seasons for, uh, for for different reasons, as you said earlier. You just keep expecting Kashiwa to push away with the amount of quality they have, but they still find themselves second from bottom. Um, yeah, just three points uh, ahead of Shonan and uh, well, yeah, Hiroshima. It's a, it's unravelled in pretty spectacular circumstances this year with many people um, yeah tipping them for the title. So. Uh, it finished goalless at Hitachi, I guess, in a game that me- meant a lot more for the host Racehall than it did for San Fritsche. Yeah, I think the, the no-no didn't really really suit either either side. And it's interesting there with Yokohama FC scoring four at the weekend. That's Kashiwa on our joint like, lowest scorers in the league. And you look at the talent in that side to, to have that kind of record is is very surprising. They have seemed to, to fix the other end of the, 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 the side with uh, Inukai coming in and then Tatsuda's relegated to the bench, much to, to Sam's delight. So, yeah, much tighter at the back. And if you look at their, their kind of recent results, they've, they've drawn with Serizor Vissel and, and Sam Frecci over the last, last few games. Um, they've given away late goals. They really need to start winning games or else they're just going to stay down there and it's going to get more and more pressure building up. Yeah, Hiroshima, yeah, it can only hope to, to move forward but they're, they're four points behind the Serizo who are in form and you know Skibbe were, were rightly giving a lot of praise last season but the way they've kind of collapsed since well in the time Mitsuda was out injured and inability to convert all kinds of like positive stats into actual victories it has got to be a few question marks around him and especially if Mitsuda goes next season but you know they're not really troubling the top or, or the bottom this season so yeah Kashima is the, sorry, Kashima is the, the story and yeah, it's going to be a story towards the end of the season, I think, because they've got a few tough games to, towards the end. But I, I still, I'm still faithful that, that Cashew will, will be a G1 club next season. Yes, all right then. So that's uh, all nine uh, games from match day 25 uh, rounded up. Then some, obviously, in uh, far more detail than others. Um, so yeah, what's uh, left until the end of the episode? We'll have a quick look ahead to the weekend's uh, match day 26. Before that, though, there are the Empress Cup quarterfinals on Wednesday. Uh, we mentioned that uh, Nagoya and Fukuoka are the two teams still left in uh, both domestic cups, and uh, they play uh, the bottom two in J1 in their uh, Empress Cup quarterfinals on uh, Wednesday night. Uh, Nagoya are away at uh, Kashiwa, while uh, Fukuoka host bottom club Shonan. Uh, elsewhere, Niigata host Kawasaki, and it's uh, the only team left from uh, from J2, Roaso Kumamoto. They, uh, they host... Vissel Kobe, so that'll be a, a very interesting uh, group of uh, four fixtures, uh, Johnny. Um, yeah, obviously the the uh, all fans of cup sets will be uh, cheering on Kumamoto uh, against Kobe, but uh, yeah, some of the other fixtures look uh, very intriguing in their own right as well. Yeah, I'd say expect it unexpected, and I'll go on record and say Kumamoto will beat Kobe because it's just got visions of of Kofu last season because they're cascading down J2 like, like nobody's business and they always play the strongest lineup so they'll probably play the strongest team against Kobe's uh, injury depleted reserves and I, I think you know it might go to extra time penalties I, I, I think that's that's your your cup set you know the, the other ones you know, Kawasaki are, I mean they're in danger of finishing the bottom half of J1 for the first time since 2011 so I think Toru Niki would be like he'll probably want an Emperor's Cup to kind of distract from league struggles. So I think that they'll go out for, for a victory there. Fukuoka, Shonan, yeah, I mean, Fukuoka, you'd imagine, would probably take it a bit more seriously than Shonan, have got bigger fish to fry in the league. So 
Um, and then again, same with, with Kashua against Nagoya. So if you had to press me, and feel free to mock me if I get zero out of four on, on next week's pod, but I would go Kawasaki, Fukuoka, Nagoya, Kumamoto would be my, my, my pick of the four teams to win those games. Yeah, all right. I yeah, I love you sticking your neck out there and, and going uh, straight out there for a, for a cup set. Um, yes, this uh, this competition uh, yeah throws them up on a regular basis, as we know, as you said yourself there with uh, Kofu going all the way last year. So uh, yeah, who's to say uh, Kumamoto cannot repeat the dose? Uh, yes, the the similarities. Uh, eerie there's a no question about that all right then so yeah they all look very entertaining on wednesday night and then as i said yeah the the, the match day 26 fixtures um yeah i uh let's see if i can uh, get a new drop together in the editing suite uh, johnny but for uh, for the time being what is uh, johnny's pick of the weekend johnny's pick of the weekend um, I'm going to go for Kashiwa Racer against Yokohama F Marinos on, on Saturday at, at 7 o'clock. Um, I think it's got a game with, with huge implications at, at both ends of the table, as we've already mentioned in the pod. Um, Kashiwa have been, have been going toe-to-toe with, with like teams at the top ends of the, the table, but only getting draws, often in heartbreaking fashion. Whereas uh, Marinos, you know, as we mentioned right at the start of the pod, received a, a hiding from the, the local rivals last weekend. So they will be smarting. Kevin Muscat should have them fired up and raring to go. Um, so, yeah, I think there'll be a plenty of intensity on show. And it's a game that both these sides need to win. So I, I would say, yeah, Kashua Racer against Yokohama F. Marinos is my, my pick of the round. What about yourself, Ben? Is there any game you, you'd like to kind of pick out? Yeah, I'll go uh, with uh, one of the two on Sunday then. I'll go for uh, the Kansai Derby Kobe hosting Kyoto. Uh, it should be interesting to see, uh, yeah, how uh, Taichi Hara does, uh, yeah, for an encore uh, away mm-hmm. at uh, the, the team second in the table. The run of fixtures they've got after the international break means that this is almost a must win for, for mm-hmm. Kobe and, um, yeah, a, a, a fired up Kyoto side who, as we've said, are basically locked up their J1 status and uh, can look ahead to next year and whether Hara will be part of that will remains to be seen. But, um, yeah, should be interesting one there, I think, with uh, some uh, some Kansai bragging rights uh, up for grabs. And then, uh, yeah, we you teased it earlier with the mention of um, Lukian's potential hamstring injury. Johnny, yes, this starts a, a trilogy of games between uh, FC Tokyo and and uh, Fukuoka. Uh, Tokyo are at home on a Sunday evening, um, and then the teams will square off in the uh, the quarterfinals of the Levain Cup over the international break. So they'll play uh, three times against each other uh, in the, the space of uh, 10 days or so. So, um, yes, uh, get ready for some uh, some J-Talk derby chat <laughs> in the Patreon-only line group. But, uh, yeah, well, yeah, while we're, we've got you, Johnny, the international break is coming up. As we said, the, the following... Uh, couple of weeks. So uh, as the uh, as speculation continues to mount about uh, who Hajime Moriyasu will select in his uh, squad for these uh, upcoming friendlies against Germany and Turkey, um, you want to stick your neck out again and uh, suggest maybe a bolter or two that uh, Moriyasu might be able to uh, to plump for? 
Well, as I'm, as I'm based in Osaka, I hear more things in the, the Kansai region, or specifically in, in Osaka. So the, the names I've heard floating around, the first look from Serizo, the, the right back, uh, Seiya Maikuma, who I think anyone that long-term listens to the pod or, or JTET will know about my admiration for him. And, you know, Riku Metsuda has been out on loan to, to Vanfuri Kofu, such so as been Maikuma's performances at, at right back, where he's, he's moved back to the, this season. So I, I've heard sort of rumours about him maybe getting in the squads. And then from Gamba, such has been the, the good form recently, I've heard like Yuki Yamamoto, because he went in the run of you know, four assists in a row, and he didn't quite get the assist for, for last week's goal, but he almost did, and he's, he's taken on the captaincy this year, and he's, he's really impressed his, his, his Japanese colleagues and also his, his foreign teammates. And also the, the left-back, Keisuke Kurokawa, he seems to be getting a good rep from, from Gamba fans and also from, from fans of other teams. Um, all three of them, I think, were born 1997. They've all been to, to university, so they're not they're maybe not as young as you might some people might might expect, but they'll all be around like 28, 29 at the next World Cup. If I'm honest with Yamamoto and Kurokawa, I think if you know if there was an EAFF Cup coming up, I think they might get in. I, I'm not sure they're going to get in a squad for the, one of the first games against Germany. My Kuma would probably be my my bolter if I had to pick one, like a, a G League based bolter who's, who's never been involved before. But Moriyasu is is known to lead in the conservative side, so again, it wouldn't really surprise me if there were zero bolters in this squad, and it mostly well, it stuck to the, the tried and tested, or or maybe like a, a Fuji or Mitsuda who's been involved before. But yeah, but my, my Kuma would be would be my pick for for a bolter. Uh, would you would you add anyone, or would you go along with that, or? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be uh, um, opposed to my Kuma getting a chance. Yeah, uh, I I think we've seen in yeah the last couple of uh, post World Cup squads that Moriasu has shaken things up a bit. But yeah, your point's very well taken. That yeah, uh, on a uh, a European sojourn, maybe he he doesn't want to uh, take too many risks and uh, try and bet in uh, new players. Uh, new domestic based players at least for uh, for for games uh, over in Europe so we'll uh, we'll wait and see with bated breath as always for his uh, personality filled uh, squad releases they're always uh, fascinating <laughs> viewing aren't they listeners all right then well um that's uh, i think that's where we'll uh, draw the line for this week's episode Johnny and um yeah you can have a proper lie down now after a uh, an, an extended stint in the uh, in the hot seat first with Sam and then yeah three excellent episodes on your own before uh, I guess yeah passing the torch back to me on this episode so once again uh, well done for all your hard work uh, while I was away um yeah the, the listeners uh, didn't really skip a beat at all with their enjoyment of the pod I'm sure with the, with yourself in charge and um yeah thanks for joining us and uh, well yeah I'm sure we'll speak again uh, hopefully on numerous occasions before the the season comes to a conclusion uh, thanks very much, Ben. Thanks for, for having me on. Uh, I think I'm back in my, my best position now, so ho- hopefully I can do my, my best work here um, in colour commentary. But yeah, it's been a, been a crazy match week and I've, I've really enjoyed go- going through it with you. So, so thanks very much. Terrific stuff. All right, so we'll leave it there. That's it for this week's episode of the J Talk podcast. Uh, Johnny and I would like to thank our patrons for their ongoing support on Patreon. If you'd like to get involved, please visit patreon.com slash jtalkpod. And listeners, we'd like to thank you for listening wherever you are. We'll be back next week to review J1 Match Day 26. Speak to you then. Bye for now. The J Talk Podcast. Yes, 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 yes.